Thanks for listening to the Refuel Podcast. Be sure to tune in every Thursday for a new episode. If you remember what we've been doing over the past couple weeks, we've been talking about three tweaks we need to make to our youth group. By the way, now that it's just us, it's just high school, you guys, if you have a question, I mean, just let me know, and I'll push pause, and I'll answer your question, unless you start asking too many questions, because sometimes they can get a little crazy. Uh, if you're in my life group, you know. So, um, so what we've been doing, we've been talking about three tweaks that we want to do in our youth group. We're like, I think we're heading in a great direction, by the way, but there are three little tweaks that I think we need to make in order to continue to pursue God and serve God in our youth group. The first one we talked about was, does anybody remember the first one? Remember that? Just do it, right? You know, it's not just good enough. Like, a lot of people sit around and read the Bible. Well, whoop de doo right? If you don't do the Bible, what good is it to read the Bible? Um, so the first thing we need to do is we need to do the Bible. We need to obey. We need to respond to God in order to have a relationship with God. Last week, what we talked about was reaching. We need to reach and receive people in our youth group. We need to, we need to receive people. We were, in, we were in Romans 15, and it said, Receive one another. Accept one another just as Christ accepted you. There should be nobody that walks through the doors of our, of our youth group of our youth building that is not accepted. Now, we learned, remember, accepted doesn't mean you have to agree with everything that they believe. You have to agree with everything they do. Accepting means, hey, Jesus received me when I was a sinner, when I was his enemy. I will receive you no matter what. So, receive. Tonight, our tweak, the t- <laughs> we're all, <laughs> we're tweaking tonight. Um, tonight, our tweak and is, is going to be reach. And I think, did I skip over a slide, Jake? Okay. So, tonight, our tweak is reach. We need to reach out. Because here's what happens. I talked to you about this at the beginning of the year, too. You get to a, you know me, in snotty points, right? You know how I talk about the snotty points. We, we are in danger of approaching this snotty point where we say, you know what? We got a lot of people here now. I think we're big enough. Like, if we have more people come, that just means, like, you know, the bathrooms are going to get dirty, you know, it's going to be hard getting up and down the steps and, like, working through people. It's just going to be like the halls at Midland. I don't want it like that. I think we got enough people. Like, we get, we get sometimes you get so big, and, like, we've, it's been incredible how, like, God has brought people to us. You can get so big, you hit this snotty point, you know what I mean? This snotty point where you're like, you know, we really don't need any more people. we got lots of people. Uh, I, you can put that previous slide up. It's really cool what's been going on. Um, last year, we had about 40, 50 of us, and we had nine tag groups this year. We've been having like between 75 and 80 of us. Um, last semester, we had 13 tag groups. This semester, we have 21 tag groups. Pretty crazy. Um, pretty exciting. Uh, we we kind of made the tag groups a little smaller this semester too. But it, it's incredible to see God bring people to us. But we, we get to this point where we're like, you know what? I think, do we really need more people here? Like it's already hot enough up here anyway. Like do we really need more people? Like do we need more people? The answer, and you can probably guess what it is, but I'm trying to help. I'm, tr- I'm trying to work through our thought process. The answer is, well, uh, heck yeah, we do. We need more people because God's called us to reach more people. So tonight, the tweak, which you already saw on the screen, tonight's tweak that we need to do, we need to reach people. God is calling us to reach people. So turn over to Romans. We're going to go towards the verse that Blake read. Um, we're not. We're going to read it forwards, or right the right way, however you would say that. We're going to read it left to right. I'm not going to read it like them China people, Chinese people. <laughs> that sounded really bad. We're going to read it like China, your Chinese alphabet goes right to left. Um, so does Hebrew. So we're going to read um, Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 15. 
And if you don't have your Bible, it's all good. The words are on the screen. Uh, so let's start in verse 9. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised you from the dead, you'll be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess faith and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame, for there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then, this is what Blake read, and now maybe you'll understand it. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach to them unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Romans chapter 10 is, is interesting because you can almost divide it into two parts. There's verses 1 through 7, and it talks about how people reject Jesus. And then verses 7 through 16 talk about the remedy for people who reject Jesus. So as you're, you know, if, if you want to go back and kind of study Romans 10 that we read later this week, remember that it's kind of divided into two sections. 1 through 7 is the rejection of Jesus. 8 through 17 is the remedy for the rejection of Jesus. So just kind of like file that in your brain too. You got, I know you've got a lot of files, and I'm adding to your, the file cabinet of your brain tonight. Just kind of remember that. Um, so we're going to make a couple observations from what we've read, and then we're going to get to the meat and potatoes of what we're talking about tonight. The first observation, you actually see it in the first verse of this chapter, is that our heart should break for the world. I, I put this verse on the screen. It's the beginning. It's kind of what led up to what we read. And um, the Apostle Paul is the one that the Holy Spirit, that God inspired to write these words into the Bible. And, and the Apostle Paul says, it's my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites that they may be saved. Um, I've got this like highlighter scheme. I'm, I'm a nerd. I've got this highlighter highlighting schema that I use for my Bible. I've got seven highlighter colors and pink, which is my favorite color. Um, and there's a song about that. Um, and pink is the, the highlighter that I'll use anytime there's like some kind of emotion that I, that I see in the Bible. So here I highlighted my heart's desire in my prayer. I, and if you can see it in my Bible, it's highlighted in pink because it's my favorite color. Um, but, um, no, I have it highlighted in pink because this is in, a, this is, Paul isn't just, he's speaking from his mind, obviously, and he's using the words of the Holy Spirit. But this comes straight from Paul's heart. He says, my heart's desire and prayer is to God is for the Israelites that they may be saved. Paul was an Israelite. These were his people. Just like, what are we? We're Americans, right? So we love America. You know, bald eagle's going to be flying on Friday, right? No. <laughs> but, um, you know, but, uh, we're, we're Americans, so, you know, of course we love other parts of the world, and we realize that, you know, borders were just drawn by politicians, you know? But, um, but we, we, we love our country, and especially as West Virginians, you know, we can talk smack. It's kind of like the little brother, big brother syndrome, you know. You can talk smack about your little brother. You can beat up on your little brother, but nobody else better beat up on your little brother, right? You'll have a problem with him. It's kind of like that us with West Virginia, right? Like, we can talk about how lame West Virginia is, but anybody else, you know, an outsider starts talking smack about West Virginia, we're going to get all Appalachian up in here, you know. You know <laughs> we're going to Hatfield and McCoy you, you know. You're going to be laying dead in a creek somewhere, you know. Like, so, um, these were Paul's people. Just like we have our people, these were Paul's people. He says, it's my heart's desire because most of the people of, of my nation and my nationality have rejected God. And it, it, it broke his heart. Does it break you? I know most of us don't read the paper, but we kind of see new, news through Twitter and, 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 and stuff. So, Does it break your heart when you see in your Twitter feed that every, it seems like almost every day in Huntington, 
somebody's dying of an overdose? Does it break your heart that our area is one of the most economically depressed areas so people can't get jobs, so what else can they do to pass the time? What else can they do to try to make them feel better? All they can do is get high. Does it break your heart just for our area that we're going to have to like cut the jobs of like you know, 60 policemen in Huntington? I just, there just seems to be like this deficit of hope in, just in our immediate area and then in our country. Man, our country's a mess, and it's not like a political thing. It's just like a spiritual thing. Our country's a mess. Does it break your heart that just like the Israelites, America, and even to some degree, people in our immediate area have rejected God and, the, and rejected Jesus, and they're looking for hope in other things? Because that's what, that's what Paul's Israel was doing. Paul's heart hurt for them. Our heart should hurt for people that don't know Jesus, especially the people that are close to us. When's the last time that your heart just hurt for people that didn't know about Jesus? So that's the, kind of just the first observation we make, is that our heart should hurt for people that don't know Jesus. Um, the second observation we make, we're kind of running through these because the last one is the, the, the big one. You know? So the, the next observation we can make is they can't work their way to God. These people who are lost, these people who have no hope, they can't get to God by trying harder. They can't find hope by just trying harder. And this goes, like, right in the face of, like, we think about people who built America, and they were people who got up at 5 a.m., fed the chickens, and then they, you know, and, 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 and they, they, they self-taught themselves, and they pulled themselves up by the bootstraps. And I even saw somebody, was, somebody posted something on Instagram today. is like, success is, is all dependent on how hard you work. And that's true to a degree. You know, you got to study if you want to do well on the test, and you got to, you know, if you want to make money, you got to show up to work, and I understand that. But it doesn't work that way with God. The Bible says that we were powerless to save ourselves. If you look in this passage here, in chapter 10, starting in verse 3, or actually, we'll just back up to verse 2. It says, I can testify about them. He's talking about his people, the Israelites, that they're zealous for God. They want God. They want the hope that God brings. But their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they didn't know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. You want, to, you want a Huntington explanation of that? That's like saying, we got a church on every corner in Huntington. Tell me why Huntington's got one of the worst drug problems in the nation, and we have some of the, some, the, one of the largest amounts of churches in the nation. It's because our area is over-churched and under-gospeled. If you, you, and we, we do this sometimes. We don't do it as often as we used to. I think we should change that. But what our church used to do is sometimes we'd kind of go door to door, like in neighborhoods and inviting people to church. And if you were to, and one, one thing we discovered, it's kind of, it's, it's, it, I'm being sarcastic here. One thing we discovered going door to door talking to people is that everybody in Huntington's a Christian. Everybody in Barbersville is a Christian. So good job, guys. Like everybody's saved. But here's how it usually, here's how it usually happens. Knock, knock. Hey, I'm Matt. I'm from Lewis Memorial Baptist Church. I just want to drop off some information about our church and invite you to come to one of our, our worship services. And sometimes I'll just kind of ask a question. Do you go to church anywhere? The guy will, be, you know, the guy will come out, you know, wife beater on, you know. He'll be, like, he'll be like, yeah, man, I'm a Christian. We go to church. I'll be like, oh, great. You know, where do you go to church? And he'll be like, Honey, where is it that we go to church? Where did we go last Easter? You know, yeah, they hadn't been for, you know, they'll go, not that there's, you know, I'm not just saying you need to be in church or you're a sinner. You should be in church, but they equated just showing up at church like twice a year. Oh, yeah, that makes me a Christian. 
That's where I get my hope is that maybe if I attend church at the right times that I'll find favor with God. The Israelites were working to try to find favor with God. It said they didn't know the righteousness of God. They didn't know how to get to God, so they tried to make their own way of living right. And you look around, not just in our area, but across the, world, across the nation, like everybody's trying to come up with their own way of living right. So now everybody, you know, what's true to me is true to me, and what's true to you is true to you, and I've got my own morality, and you have your own morality. But how does that work when my morality is different than your morality, and your morality infringes on my morality? It's a mess, isn't it? And that's when you have Hillary people and you've got Trump people and you've got Bernie people and people are feeling burns and itches and all this stuff. It's because, it's because people can, there's, there's all this going on and everybody's trying to establish their own righteousness and they've missed the righteousness of God. They can't work their way to God. I couldn't work my way to God. You couldn't work your way to God. This verse, these verses were very confusing to me until I studied and studied and studied and studied. But in verse 6, it says, but the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into deep, that is bring Christ up from the dead. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me when I read it at first, but then as I was studying it, as I was, I was researching it, there are two things that we needed to do to save ourselves that we could not do. The first was be in the presence of a holy God. God is holy, he is just, he is the essence of perfection and holiness, and what are we? What does Romans say about us? What does Romans 3.23 and 6.23 say about us? That all are sinners. So as sinners, we can't stand in the presence of a holy God. It says God is a consuming fire. Our unholiness can't stand in the presence of God. So no matter how hard you work, no matter how tall of a building you try to build to get to heaven, no matter how good you want to be, you can't measure up to the standard of God. So you can't get to God. And that's the first problem you need to solve, and nobody's solved that. You can't get to God. The second one is the Bible says that we're dead in our sins. And here's what it says. It says, who, who will send to heaven, that is, bring Christ down, or who will descend into deep, that is, bring Christ up from the dead. No one has successfully resurrected themselves from a fallen, dead, sinful state. Nobody's done it. Until who? There's like one guy that rose from the dead in history. I hope you know that. <laughs> Jesus, right? So we were powerless to do the two things we needed to do to save ourselves. To be able to stand in the presence of a holy God. Jesus was perfect. He could do that. To raise ourselves from our fallen, dead, sinful state. We couldn't do it. Jesus did. You can't work your way to God. No matter how many times you go to church, no matter how many mission trips you go on, no matter how Christian your parents are, whether you go to Christian school, because I checked all those boxes. I went on the mission trips. I was at church every time the doors were open. I went on mission trips. I was at a Christian school. None of that mattered as far as my eternal soul went. You can't work your way to God. So remember, we talked about the rejection. That's up to verse 7. Here comes the remedy. You ready for the remedy? The third point, Jesus is the remedy for a broken world. Read verse 8. It says, what does it say? The, world, the word is near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. That is the message we proclaim concerning the faith. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised you from the dead, you'll be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and justified in your mouth that you profess faith and are saved. So, there are two things this verse tells us that we're supposed to do. You declare your mouth. This is the remedy. You declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord. Does that mean I just got to get up here and say, Jesus is Lord. Okay, I'm saved. I'll go enjoy the rest of my life, and I got my hall pass non-smoking for eternity. Like, is, is that how it works? No, it's a little more, it's, it, it, there's a little more to it than that, right? It, it, it's, there's more sincerity involved. 
If you look up this word, if you declare with your mouth, some of you, the version that you have, the Bible, the translation you have of the Bible, it doesn't say if you declare with your mouth. Some of you, your version says if you confess with your mouth. Does anybody have a version that says that? A couple of you do. If you confess with your mouth. The, the root word that was originally written by Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is, is the Greek word, and here's how it's pronounced, homo legeo. So look at the person next to you and say homo legeo. Okay? See, you're smart people. You can use Greek words. You're smart. Okay? Here's what this word means. Okay? And I'm not going to try this with the middle schoolers because I don't know if they'll be mature enough to, to, to be able to deal with this prefix. But how many of you know what the prefix, and maybe you can be mature here, you know what the prefix homo means? It means the same. It means the same. How many of you, any, I don't know if anybody studied Latin, logeo, what does that sound like? Oh, you guys are smart. Okay, so, so the same homo logic, thought process, understanding. So it means that if you have the same thought process and understanding and it, you, you agree with Jesus that he is Lord. You know, Jesus didn't just claim to be a good teacher. Jesus claimed to be God. He claimed to be Lord. He claimed to have the power to forgive sin, the power to give people eternal life, the power to save people. So when you're saying Jesus is Lord, those are not empty words. That means you agree with everything Jesus claimed to be in the gospel of this book. So that's a big deal, right? It's not just saying, oh, Jesus Lord. I got my hall pass for heaven. No, it's saying, you know what? Jesus said, follow me. That means I need to follow him. Jesus said, Jesus said I'm the way, the truth, and the life. That means I'm trusting that he is the only way to get to heaven. So it's, it's more than just declaring. It's more than just confessing in the way that we think of, you know, the whole Catholic priest thing. You know, forgive me, Father, for I've sinned. Get a couple Hail Marys, put a little money in the offering plate, you're good. It means you agree with the claims that Jesus made. So if you confess with your mouth, if you, if you agree that Jesus is Lord, and then it says, secondly, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. The disciples, they were kind of wishy-washy until one specific point. Like, the disciples were always like, Jesus, we love you. And then, like, hard things would happen. We're like, Jesus, we don't know who you are, and we don't trust you, and we're so scared, and, you know, we can't do anything, and who are you? And they're just back and forth and back and forth. They're like, like, a, like, a, um, like, like a boyfriend that can't commit, you know? They're, like, they're just like, you know. But then one thing happened, and then they, they were loyal to Jesus until their deaths. What's the one thing that happened that gave them so much passion? What was the one turning point in the lives of the disciples that made them willing to die for Jesus? Thank you, Avery Meadows. They saw Jesus on Friday have a spear put through his side and breathe his last breath. Then on Sunday, he shows up and crashes their party, and he's alive. That's never happened before. So now they're, they're, they're replaying everything he said, and they're like, wow, so when Jesus said, I and God are one, he obviously was legit. He obviously meant it. And if Jesus has the power over death, then what power can death have over me? Who cares if somebody tries to kill me for spreading the gospel? Jesus beat death. I can live forever. So that is the linchpin of our faith, is that there was a man named Jesus who was a historic person, and he lived he was put to death on a cross, and he came back to life. Therefore, I will believe the words of anyone who's come back to life. So if, if, if one of you all claim to be God, and you die and you come back to life, maybe I'll believe that. Okay, but fat chance of that happening, right? Because there's only one person who can do that, and it's Jesus. So 
it, it's a faith. See, you see here faith, and what does that faith move you to do? It moves you to believe that Jesus is everything he said he is. So how do you, how, what's the remedy? It's faith in Jesus. That took a little bit longer to explain, but I, I hope it was clear enough. So then we keep moving. I love this part. The next point is salvation is for everyone. It's not for the frozen chosen. There's not like this one little elite group of people that Jesus came to save. Like Jesus came to save the guys that wear the Brooks Brothers suits, but he didn't come to save anyone else. Look at these words that we're reading, um, starting, um, starting in verse 11. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know what these verses tell me? First, it's that salvation is universal in its availability. It's available to everyone. Don't be mistaken. There's, it's not universal salvation. It's not like, you know, hey, Jesus died. Everybody goes to heaven. Free trip. You know, I'm Oprah. Everybody gets a car. You know, it, that, that's not. There, Jesus requires a response. He requires faith in order for you to be saved. But he extends the invitation to everyone. It's universal in its availability. But if, this is also really cool. It's common in its consequences. Let me explain that. Look back at verse 12. It says, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile, which that was the division. That was like Hillary people versus Trump people. That was like conservative versus liberal. That was, you know, all, all the divisions we have, like that was the big one back then. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. There are no, there's no such thing as two kinds of Christians. There's no such thing as a class system. You know how at school there's a class system and you sit at the lunch table with the people that are kind of like on your level? There's no, there are no, going to be no lunch tables in heaven. There are going to be no lunch tables in heaven. Somehow we have this idea that there are these specific elite groups of people and that like, well, I've been a Christian since I was four years old, you know, so I know more than you do about the Bible. And you've, all, I don't know why I'm doing this, but... Um, you've only been a Christian for a year. So like, I, like I'm on this upper, in this upper echelon and I'm on this upper tier of Christianity and you're down here. Maybe if you study the Bible long enough and you go to church long enough and you can pick up on all the lingo and you can learn how to pray hedges of protection around people, you can get up to my level. What does the Bible say about that? It says there's two categories of people. People who are in Jesus and people who are not in Jesus. I wrote this down. It says, while they may be young in the faith, the Holy Spirit that's inside them is no child. You see what I'm saying? When you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit inside you. And even though you may not know everything in the Bible, and you may not know all the church lingo, guess what? You've got the Holy Spirit inside you who's guiding you and convicting you and leading you into where he wants you to go. So salvation is available to everyone. So pause here. This is a great message, right? The world has rejected Jesus. They have no hope. Jesus comes into the picture and satisfies the need that every person has, and he offers the salvation to everyone. The remedy is here. It's in your hands. You've taken it. You've got a bunch of it left over. Now, what, here's the next question. What do you do? What do you do? People need this message, don't they? People need to hear this. 
people need to know what it means to have hope. So what do you do? Here's where verse 14 comes in. Well, let's back up to verse 13. It says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then it goes into this. You go to the next slide, Jake, because the verse is on there. How will they call on the one they haven't believed in? How can they believe in the one who they haven't heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach to them unless they are sent? You see how this verse kind of works backwards? What's the goal? What's the remedy? Someone calls on the name of the Lord. They believe in Jesus, and they call on the name of the Lord. How do people get to that point? Let's work backwards here. First off, somebody's got to go. We got to be where they are. The people that need hope, we need to go be where they are. So we got to be sent. We got to send people. We got this idea that church is just about like hanging out together. And we're supposed to hang out together to build each other up. But what does Ephesians 4 say we're supposed to do? We're supposed to build each other up so that we can be ready for works of service and we can be ready to go tell people. So none of this is going to happen unless the first step happens, happens, which means what? We get off our rear ends and we go tell people who don't know about Jesus. you got to take a step. And then it says, how can anyone preach? You've got to use words to tell people about Jesus. You've heard some people say, and I can't remember who said this, but there's this, there's this saying that says, preach the gospel and when necessary, use words. I understand what they mean. You know, you gotta, you got to love people with your actions too, and that's great. But that's kind of like saying, breathe and when necessary, use oxygen. You know, <laughs> like, like how can you communicate the truth of the gospel without words? You can show people love, but it's more to it. It says they have to, how can they hear without someone preaching to them? It doesn't mean that people that are deaf can't get saved. It just means people need to hear the words. People need to understand the words of the gospel. And something incredible happens when people hear the words of the gospel. It doesn't have to be packaged. It doesn't have to be like, sometimes I get tired of like Christians, or Christians are real bad at marketing anyway, and just real bad at like, I don't know, they always have cheesy websites, and you know. It's not about making Christianity cool. It's about telling people the need they have. There's something special about the gospel that every time people share the gospel, something happens, the Holy Spirit starts convicting the hearts of people that need to hear it. So when they hear they believe. And when they believe, they call. But do you understand what we want to focus on? And we're going to get out of here. I just want you to think about this first step. What's the first step? It's a question, Mike. You can answer. What's the first step? If you're reading it backwards, like Blake did, what's the first step? It's highlighted in magenta. It starts with an S. Sent. We got to get out of here, right? If, if we're here and the people that need to hear the message are not here, what does that mean we should do? Where should we be? Not here. There's like a way to write that in math, isn't it? Like you can say not this, right? We, we need to be not here if they are going to hear, H-E-A-R, the good news. So we've got to go. We have what they need. I think it's the next slide, Jake. We have what they need, but they aren't here. So I want you to put skin on they. Who is they? Who are the people that need to hear about Jesus? Whoever they are. I mean, maybe, maybe you're here and you don't know Christ. If you are, I hope you understand what Jesus offers tonight. But they aren't here. They're over there. 
So you know what that means? And this is why we purposely don't have like a ton of things for our youth group to do just that or just hang out. Like I love our building and I love the park and I love to just sit down and play video games with you guys sometimes. But you know what? God's calling for us isn't to just come over here on a Friday evening and play video games all night while they aren't here. Our call is for us to go find them and tell them the good news of Jesus. So that's our calling. How will they hear? How will they call if nobody goes, if they're not sent? God is calling us to go, and that's our tweak, is we need to reach. So if you can, I wrote this down. Maybe I should, this may be sound kind of mean, but if you can't name one unsaved person who's on your heart, you're probably not going. You're probably not being sent. Um, so how can we make this real? How can we change this? Three things. I'm just going to write I'm just going to list them. You can write them down. Maybe I'll post it on Instagram. Um, the first thing is make, make the gospel the centerpiece of your life. Like, if you don't realize your need for Jesus, are you going to be motivated to tell other people about Jesus? I don't think so. Some people, and I, I was saved when I was five years old, okay? You know, I did the, whole, you know, I did the Christian school thing, and I was, so, I, I was so used to hearing about Jesus, you know, it didn't even phase me. So I thought, you know, I'm kind of past the whole gospel message. I'm ready to get on to the more, you know, deeper things of God's Word. You're never going to get deeper than the gospel. You're never going to get deeper than what Jesus did for you. So center your life on it, and then all of a sudden you're going to find yourself wanting to share it with others. Here's the next one. Um, make a specific goal. Commit to something specific. One thing I want to, I'm challenging all the tag groups to do is each one get one. We have 21 tag groups. What would happen if each tag group brought one person with them? 21 people would get reached. 21 people would hear the word of God and be invited to believe. Commit to something specific. I've, I've sat through so many sermons and, you know, I'm like, yeah, you know, I need to do something. But until the something becomes something specific, I'm probably not going to act on it. So what's the one thing you'll do to reach someone this week? Well, who's the one person you'll talk to at lunch this week before the weekends? Who's the one person, who's the one cousin you'll visit, hang out with, and tell them about what you learned tonight? Commit to something specific, one thing. And I want your tag group to commit to getting one person. Each one, get one. And here's the third thing. If you, this is all kind of new to you, and you've never really trusted Jesus and called on Jesus' name, I would invite you to call on Jesus. I would invite you to find that hope tonight. So let's pray, and you guys can go down to tag. Um, Father, thank you that we have hope in you. Uh, thank you that we can be centered on you and who you are, that no matter what happens in our life, um, they can never take away the gospel from us. God, I pray that we will be people who go, people who won't just sit around and enjoy the company of believers while people are dying and going to hell. I pray that you'll so move in our midst that we'll want to go bring people, add people, and save people. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to the Refuel podcast. If you have any questions or would like to review the notes from this podcast, be sure to download the Refuel app from the App Store on any mobile device.